Thank you for all of your prayers and concerns and notes of encouragement and cards uh, relating to my wife, Jennifer. Um, so it was a little touch and go there for a little bit. She had been in the hospital for about three or four days without any sort of updates. And so they were just observing, taking, she said she felt like a pincushion, you know, they're always like jabbing her and getting blood and all that kind of stuff. They're really concerned that it was uh, pancreatitis or even possibly a pancreatitis cancer, which is when I was in India, that's how my dad died, uh, was he went into the hospital and they said pancreatitis. And so I was thinking, oh no, you know, this is not a good thing uh, to have that. Um, so the best of the worst situation is that they were able to address the issue and uh, remove um, some body parts from my wife. <laughs> yeah. I'll try to keep her medical stuff uh, <laughs> uh, between her and her uh, doctor. But it, anyways, thank you for your prayers and concerns. And she's just now at home and hopefully on the road to recovery. So thank you again for that. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Normally, we've been going through the book of John. And we're in John chapter 10, coincidentally. And the last time uh, we were looking at the first nine verses of chapter 10, and then we really stopped on John 10.10, which is where Jesus says, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And of course, the life that he's talking about is not bios life, it's not anthropos life, it's zoe life. So in the Greek, that's life that's exclusive only to God. He's the only one that has the eternal, infinite, everlasting, unending, uncreated life. That's in God. You can't get life like that anywhere else. You can't put it in a, in a beaker. You can't shoot it in your arm. Um, you can't work hard enough or long enough to get it. It's a gift, and it only comes by faith alone in Christ alone. To get the Zoe, eternal, abundant life, you need to have faith in Christ to get it. So that's where we were at last time. Today, what I'd like to do is to talk about something a little bit different because of what's going on in the media, what's going on around the world. This verse stuck out to me. And the reason why it stuck out was because we're going through the book of Revelation on Sunday nights. And... We're talking about the return of Christ, the rapture of the church. Uh, we've been in Revelation 13 for some time, which is the mark of the beast. And that's been really fun, by the way. <laughs> that's been interesting. I love that chapter. Um, but to, today, what I'd like to do is go through chapter 10, verses 1 through 25, just so we could get the context and I'll be making comments line by line, precept upon precept, verse by verse. And then when we get to chapter or uh, verse 25, I'd like to put the car in park and just stay there for a little bit and look at this idea where the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's just pray there. That's the, that's the text verse. And then we'll go back to verse 1 and work our way down to verse 25. Lord Jesus, 
Again, I just pray that you just minister to your people and that the Holy Spirit that's in all the believers, that he'd be the teacher, he'd be the guide, he would edify us, he'd build us up, and he would reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And in turn, the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us the Father. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. Look with me if you would in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1. I love, 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 love the book of Hebrews. Love it. In fact, me and my buddy that go to India, we wrote a commentary on Hebrews and we taught it um, to hundreds of pastors in, in India. I love the book of, um, I even have a book published. Did you guys know that I'm a famous author? You can't read it. <laughs> I'll have to show it to you. You guys, does anyone in here speak Hindi? I have it in my back office. I'll have to show it to you. They spelt my name wrong on the cover, which is funny. Um, I can't read it, so I don't know if the editing was accurate or not. It's in Hindi. It's the only book that I have published. It's a pretty big deal, right? <laughs> uh, but when we were going through the book of Hebrews, what we've discovered was that Christ is better. It's the theme of the book. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than the law. Christ is better than angels. He's better than creation. He's better than the temple. He's better than, um, uh, he's better than anything you could think of. He, Christ is superior. Christ is the pinnacles, the zenith, the apex, the top. Anything less than Jesus is inferior. So don't settle for something less than Jesus because the book of Hebrews is trying to deal with Jewish people that received Christ and then went, went and settled for something less than Christ. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to bring them back to the centrality and the preeminence of Christ. Look with me if you would. And, and in chapters, basically chapter um, 7, 8, well, he's dealing with Melchizedek, and Christ is better than Melchizedek. But then in chapters 8 and 9, he's dealing with Christ is better than the law. And he's better than the temple because those things were just types and shadows. But why would you settle for a type, a picture, or a shadow when you have the actual person of Christ? So when he comes to chapter 10, which we know that the editors put the chapters and verses in there, so it's one continuous letter. But for our convenience, uh, we come to chapter 10 and verse 1, which is a continuous thought from chapter 9. But needless to say, and we start in verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make those that come perfect. Did you get that? So the law was a shadow. It was pointing towards something it was pointing towards the solution, but the, the law itself was not the solution. It would be like if the sun is at my back right now, and, you were, and, and it was casting a shadow, and you were looking at the shadow. The shadow is fine, but I'm the person. There's the shadow, and there's the person. And we oftentimes will be focused on the shadow but what I think the book of Hebrews is doing is saying, basically do an about face and then look at the son himself, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. And so the author is trying to say, the law was good, but it couldn't make you right with God, permanently forgiven, forever, once and for all justified. Um, it could not do that. It was just 
a signpost to point you to Jesus, but once you get to Jesus, you don't need to go back to the signpost and hug the signpost. It was just a, it was a, it was a marker. It was a, a directive to point you to Jesus. He says in verse 2, Then would they have not ceased to have been offered. In other words, if those animal sacrifices worked, they could have just stopped doing it, but because they didn't fully work, this is where we get the word atonement from. The word atonement means to cover. To atone means to cover. So the Old Testament, you had an atonement. It covered sins, but it didn't completely remove them, which is the promise of the new covenant, which we'll, um, we'll think about that in remembrance of that as we take communion at the end of service today. So he says, um, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Now, this doesn't mean that when you sin, you're not aware of it. The Holy Spirit will, you know, as your loving instructor, he'll remind you of that. But the idea of the new covenant is your sins and iniquities, Jesus says, I will remember no more. And so the finality of the cross, where we put an explanation point or a period at the cross, not a dot, 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 or a comma, where Jesus said, it is finished, he meant what he said and said what he meant when he said, it's done, it's complete, it's finished. But you could never say that in the old covenant because you always had to go and shed more blood and more blood and more blood, but the blood of animals can't take away sin. It could only cover it temporarily. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 3, day of atonement all the time. Over and over again, reminder. It's almost like the nation of Israel was stacking up the greatest national debt possible. IOU, 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 IOU. Because the blood of animals could never take away man's sin. It could only temporarily cover it in an atonement type situation. So when Jesus came, John saw, John the Baptist saw him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which comes to take away the sin. And so Jesus is the perfect final forever sacrifice to satisfy God's economy with which, with whereby which Jesus shed his perfect, precious blood as the currency that God would accept to be the payment, which none of us could afford and animals couldn't afford. It had to have been God himself uh, being made sin for us who knew no sin. Verse 5, or no, verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Do you see that plain and simple? It's not even possible. So by, the, by even the get-go of the Old Covenant, it was never designed as the final solution. It was a temporary fix. It was like a workaround. It's like, okay, you have in-church <laughs> or you have Zoom church. What do you like more? Probably Zoom church because you, you could be business up top or, you know, and the pajamas down on bottom, I don't know, but um, in-person is way better than a virtual relationship. And so, would you rather have a virtual relationship with God or a real relationship with God? Do you see what I'm saying? 
So it's not possible that the animals could have taken care of the sin, the sin debt. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, verse 5, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you would not, but a body you've prepared me. Keep that in mind when we do communion, uh, because the, the bread is often forgotten, right? Because the, the juice is easy. That's the blood of Jesus that takes away our sin. But did you ever think about the significance of the bread? And I'm going to call on you deacons today. One of you going to pray for the body. The other one's going to pray for the blood and thank the Lord for those things, right? Uh, but just keep these notes in mind as you, as you go through the scripture and you see references to the body. And so God prepared a body. He filled it with blood. He lived a perfectly sinless life. And he died the death that we should have died in his body. And he shed his blood. Verse 6, And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin... You had no pleasure. Then said I, I come, and the volume of the book it's written of me, to do your will, O God. Above when he said, verse 8, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you would not. This is kind of similar to verse uh, 6. Uh, Neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, continuously, continuously, continuously. Then said he, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. What's the first that he's taking away? The covenant, the old covenant, the first covenant. He's taken away the first so he might establish uh, the new covenant. You know, when we do communion, Jesus said, take this cup, this represents my blood of the new testament, the new covenant, which is shed for your sins. Verse 10, by the which will, what's a will? You know, I just watched a movie recently, I forget what it was, um, but the, the, old, the, the father of the company that he owned, it was a diamond company, um, he went in to see his lawyers and he adjusted his will. And then it was a family business and pretty lucrative. Um, so when he died... And they were, everyone was sitting before the lawyer. It's kind of like I'm the lawyer today, and I'm reading you the will, right? <laughs> I'm telling you the good news of what you got because of Christ. But when the lawyer sat there and the whole family was there, and he was saying, he started off by, you know, the guy's name. This is his last will and testament. It, what supersedes, or uh, what's the word? I'll just use the lack of term. It trumps all other wills and testaments. This is the final one. So when you die, the last will that you had notarized by an attorney is the last will that goes into effect when you die. That's what the New Testament is. That's why Jesus, when he was doing the the Last Supper, he was trying to emphasize, this is my last will and testament, the last one. The final one. And Jesus could back it up because not only did he die, but he rose again from the dead to make sure that the wishes of his will and testament are granted to all the recipients that receive him by faith. Verse 10, or verse 11. <clears throat> well, notice at the end of verse 10, by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. Notice that? Never take away sins. 
Oh, it could atone for sins, which is a good word, but atonement is not final. It's just a covering. It's a temporary band-aid. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, something a priest would never do in the temple because there wasn't any seats. So what does this indicate to us? There's not going to be repeated sacrifices for sins because Jesus made the final forever sacrifice when he died on the cross, and then he sat down, satisfying God's economy for the final payment for all of mankind's sin, past, present, and future. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made a footstool. And you'll notice this in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Hebrews, this idea of once for all, one offering, once. It it has the idea in, in antithesis to the law, which was repeated sacrifices. The writer of Hebrews wants everyone to know that Jesus was once for all, once for all, once for all. And I think what God's trying to get across to us is finalize the cross. It's a done deal with God. It needs to be a done deal with us as well. Because once you finalize the cross, you can move over to the resurrection side of the gospel, which is the life side. If you don't have the cross finalized and you function like an Old Testament Jew, all you're doing is death, 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 more sacrifice, more sacrifice, more death, more remembrance of sin, more conscience of sin, more remembrance, more blood, more death. And God says that's the old covenant, but he replaced it with the new covenant. It's the updated one. It's his last will and testament. It's the final one. Now you can start focusing on the life of Christ, the eternal life of Christ. But we thank God for his death, but we live from his life. But this man, verse or verse 11, every priest stands offering offering the same sacrifice and never take away sins. Verse 12, this man, Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand. For, oh, I already read all this. For Verse 14, for by one offering, now get this, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. You know, the Bible uses in the New Testament, your saints, over 65 times, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Corinth, to the saints at Thessalonica, to the saints, to the saints. What does saint mean? A holy one, a sanctified one, a set-apart one. If you're in Christ, you're set apart. In fact, Ephesians 2.6 says you're seated together with him in heavenly places. You're set apart. You're sanctified. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost, verse 15, Holy Spirit is a witness to us For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds will I write them. So God, who was the law giver, he's also the law liver, not an organ, (laughs) but the only one that could pull it off. He lives in you and he wants to live his righteous life through you. And he says, and why would God even come into you anyways? You know, he used to dwell in, in the Shekinah glory, used to dwell in temples made with hands, but the Bible said God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He doesn't dwell in church buildings. He can, but he dwells in the hearts of born-again believers. How did he get there? Jesus had to forgive you, completely get rid of all your sins, to completely fill you with his holy, righteous, justified, sanctified life. That's who you are. 
That's not who I'm saying you are. That's who God says that you are. And he says in verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I know you remember them. I know your wife remembers your sins better than you remember your sins. I know we all have a good like uh, memory of sins, but God has this divine ability to not only forgive our sins, but to forget them completely. I know the devil's the accuser of the brethren and the sisters, and he, he accuses us nightly and daily all the time. But God um, accuses us and condemns us no more. Why? Because Jesus was condemned for us. He took God's wrath for us. He took all. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Having therefore, brethren, um, or wait, uh, verse 18. Now where remission, forgiveness, payment of these is for sin, There is no more offering for sin, verse 18. Did you see that? There's no more offering. What can you do to get more forgiven than what Jesus has already done to forgive your sins? How many sins have you had forgiven when you received Christ? All of them. Do you believe it? This is where the word good news actually is good news. But to some people, it's too good to be true. (laughs) They don't really believe that all means all, and that's all that it means. They don't. But I'm here to tell you the good news. If I'm your lawyer today, I'm telling you the good news. In the will, the last will and testament, from your relative, Jesus, you know I'm just speaking in legalese terms, he said... In the condition of his last will and testament, your sins and iniquities, he will remember no more. He'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. He'll blot them out. It's like taking cork, lighting it, and taking a a document and blotting it out, or taking blood and smearing out. Uh, He says he will cast them into the depths of the sea. He will cast them behind his back. Over and over and over again, the promises are clear that God will forgive and forget and remember your sins no more. There's no more offering. You can't improve upon the cross. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. Now we can move on to live from his life, that abundant life that we're talking about before, and we could finalize the cross and start experiencing his life. Amen. Verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You don't come based on your merit, based on what you've done, what I can do. It's not a position in church. It's your position in Christ that you could enter boldly. Religion wants to put the veil back up and make it hard for you to get access. You need to do this. You need to avoid that. You need to start doing this and stop doing that. Eat this. Don't eat that. I had a conversation with a guy the other day, and he said, you know, he said, you, he's wearing a, you know, a star of David and a cross. So I knew he was a Messianic Jew, and he told me a little bit about it. And he says, do you observe the Shabbat? And I said, why would I do that? And he's like, you don't observe the Sabbath? I'm like, do you? I'm like, how's that going? In a totally different time zone. In a Gentile nation. How's that working out for you? And we had a long discussion about keeping the Shabbat. And I said, look, here's the thing. 
I love you. Rest is not found on a day and a calendar. It's found in a person named Christ. I've entered into Christ. I've ceased from my works as I've entered into his rest. And we went through Hebrews chapter 4 together, and I showed up. And so rest is found in Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you're in the Sabbath. You're in the rest. You're in the rest. And I said, what are you going to do with all the other 612 laws that you're not keeping? You're just going to pick the Sabbath as your favorite? So this is crazy. And he's like, and he, he was really struggling. And, he's like, and then he gave me his, his name and number. And he said, well, call me later. And I said, okay. Um, and it's so easy to get the covenants cross-wired and to get, you know, part Moses, part Jesus, part uh, First Testament, part Second Testament, part Old Covenant, part New Covenant. And, you, you know, um, God's not the author of confusion, and you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. And I said, you're just, you're just doing what the, the, the New Testament deals with all over the place. You're becoming a Galatian. Um, Having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, verse 20, which he have consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, as flesh. And having a high priest, which he, that's who Jesus is, not even from the tribe of Levi, which was, he totally dealt with that in chapter 7. Um, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. He, now he's brought up conscience again, which I think is very interesting. And I'll, 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 this is a side project of mine, uh, self-consciousness, back, way back from the garden in chapter 3, where they were God-conscious and they sinned and then they became self-conscious. But notice this, that he, he's already dealt with this in verses 1 and 2, having a conscience of sin. And then he's saying, now you're, you're, being, you're going to be cleared of your conscience. And I think at one point in a Christian's life, when you really do finalize the cross, there's something that happens to your conscience. God deals with it. And you don't walk around with the guilty, condemned, shameful conscience because it's already been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's evidence that the blood has really done a good work in your heart. Um, having therefore, uh, oh, I already read that, um, verse, okay, yeah, okay, verse 23, let us hold fast our profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, even when we're not faithful, he abides faithful still, it says in Timothy, and let us, here's where we're going to stop, and I've taken a long time on this, haven't I, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day, go to the next slide, Hebrews 10.25. He's like imploring Christians, don't forsake the church. The ecclesia is the name for church. It just means a called out assembly of born again believers. Don't forget. Don't forsake the, the ecclesia, the church, the gathering together of ourselves. That's the manner of some people, but lean into it. Be a part of it. Why? So you could exhort one another. Why? 
Because if you see that the Jesus might be coming sooner than what you thought, so much more go to church. (laughs) I just think it's kind of interesting that the devil's always been trying to get rid of the New Testament church. Always. And he's been successful with maybe some local churches, but not the bride of Christ at, at large, at whole. And let me just say something. When I fell in love with my wife, I didn't fall in love with the institution of marriage. I fell in love with a person. So when I say church, you know, I mean Christ and his, his people, not the institution. Um, but Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the devil could try, but he won't, he won't succeed. But he says, encourage one another, exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Look at this next slide. This is also in Hebrews 10. You can drop down to verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who shall come will come and will not delay. What does that mean? Do you see the day approaching, Christian? Do we believe Jesus Christ came the first time? Raise your hand. Let's just see. Raise your hand. Everyone, you know, if you're a Christian, you believe he came the first time. But do we also believe Jesus will come again the second time as he promised? It's almost like it's easier to believe the Christmas story and the Easter story and the and what happened 2,000 years ago than what is eminently going to happen. If, In other words, if Christmas and Easter is true, would not the second coming be true as well? It is, but how many of you are like, I'm like uh, 95%, he came the first time, but I live and believe kind of like 45% that he's going to come again the second time. I'm a little off balance, and I teach this stuff. It almost seems like, when you talk about it and think about it and preach about it for so long, you're like, is it? It almost is so surreal. I don't know if, you, if that's even explaining it. But what are we seeing in our, in our day today? You know, there's been many generations that Jesus is going to return him. And he's going to, I don't know the day or the hour because the Bible's pretty clear on that. In Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Luke 17 and other passages, I don't know the day or the hour. I do know the Bible says... It'll be like the days of Noah when people are buying and selling and giving in marriage and they're like business as usual. It'll be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, which you could read about those days. Pretty terrible days, right? Um, but he says they're, they're living as business as usual. So I, when, when a lot left, then, the, then the, uh, the tribulation came. When Noah and his family went in the ark and God shut the ark, then the floods came. So I get, the, I get those things and I don't know the day or the hour. But do you kind of see the day approaching a little bit, a little bit, tiny bit? Amen. <laughs> it's almost like now more than ever, if you're seeing and sensing the day approaching, we need church more, not less. Amen. That's, that's the point I'm trying to get at. That's why this verse stuck out to me. I'm thinking, wow, with all the advances of technology and all the advances that we don't know about, You've heard of, like, conspiracy theorists? It's so funny, like, I'm just not going to get into it right now. Hey, did anyone go to the air show? A few people? F-35 was pretty rad. Uh, The helos, and one of them was doing, like, a wheelie over the pier. He was just going really slow. I'm I'm like, Adam, if he he reaches out and grabs a fish, you know, from the ocean... uh, Huh? 
Yeah, we're living the air show right now. Anyways, there's technology and advancements and stuff that we don't even, I don't know how my cell phone works or my TV or even my car. I don't, I don't, I just don't know. Could there possibly be technology that could mark everyone and put them into some sort of digital cashless currency where they could trace every transaction? Oh my word, people, yes. Does that mean it's the mark of the beast? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like there are some advances in technology today that maybe, <clears throat> maybe they had it 30 years ago and they just weren't ready to roll it out. I don't know. Um, but I, I know what we, what we do know today. It looks like, hmm, because maybe I'm just hypersensitive because we're in Revelation on Sunday nights. We're studying the mark of the beast. I'm like, huh, interesting technology, interesting biodermal implants that people are already doing and scanning their hands and they're getting access to smart devices like letting them inside, taking money out of their account, keeping track of their, uh, you know, their, their vitals as far as their heart rates and uh, different types of levels that they can monitor internally from a, like, a, like an implant with RFD technology, RFDI technology. So that's kind of already been around for many, many years. <clears throat> and I just think, I think we're just now thinking about what are, the, what are the biblical implications of technology kind of clashing with archaic, you know, uh, Christian theology. Well, I'm not making any bold predictions because many have done that and have been proven wrong, which almost discredits the message altogether. But I don't want to ignore it also. I just think that you could see the day approaching. But the Bible says, as you do, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, and especially today. What does the word forsake mean? Let's look at this next slide. The word forsake, go to the next one. It means this, to leave behind something in some place in a good sense. Like you could forsake a bad habit, that's a good thing. Um, but in a bad sense, it's to desert or forsake or to leave. Like, that, that, you know, some people would desert and leave the gathering together of believers. That's a bad thing. Why? Because... I need you and you need me. The idea is that the manner or the lifestyle or attitude or the habitual patterns of some people is they could take or leave church. And maybe that's been an attitude like during the good times. Maybe that's been the attitude when things are going well. But I'll tell you what, you probably heard me say this um, when I went to Romania after the fall of communism and Ceausescu was ousted by the revolutionaries that wanted to overthrow the evil government of uh, the communist dictator regime that he was imposing upon people. And I had plenty of conversations with people that lived under it and after it. But I asked some Christians uh, what was like like during and then after. And he said, after, people kind of take have this idea like they could take or leave church. But during, even when their life was at risk, they went to church. It was a big priority. Isn't that weird? To where when you're free to just do whatever, it almost reveals your heart, right? Like, like hey, I could go to church or not go to church. I have the freedom to do that. 
what's that in the Jets or whatever? Um, but when you're told you can't go, it kind of triggers something, right? I want to go. What did you feel like during COVID when they said, you can't go, everyone's going to die? And then COVID got really smart, and he's like, okay, 50 people, you're definitely going to die. 40 people, maybe. It was almost like uh, with Abraham reasoning with God for the people. 30 people, die. 20 people, wipe them all out. But COVID could do math, so if there's 10 people, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Okay. I'm not saying that people aren't affected by viruses, and they are. I'm not trying to make light of it, but we've gone through some crazy times where we've been told some just stuff that just made you scratch your bald head and go, huh? Wait, how does it know math? And there's just a lot of interesting things related to it. But my point is this. Some people in, you know, in the good times have this attitude of taking or leaving church. And so the Bible's saying, don't let that be your manner. Granted, there's no perfect churches, and sometimes people just need to find their people. I'm not saying we're a church that's for everyone. You know, if someone leaves this church because they don't like the people, the building, the, the color of, you know, the, the way the wood grain is designed, or these awesome retro 1970s light fixtures, maybe they're super offended by stuff like that. That's okay. Um, but granted, there's no perfect churches, but find a church that you fit in. That's the idea. Not, I'm not saying, that's a cult technique. You know, if you leave us, you're out of the will of God. Have you ever heard that from a Christian church? That's terrible. I have been in a Christian church where they've told me that, and I'm like, whoa, that's a red flag for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> so find a church where you fit in, where the teaching and the preaching and the people they love God, they love each other, and they, they want to know God and make him known. Be there. You know, plant your roots there. And, and you know, but there, keep in mind that there's no perfect churches. For example, I think it's this poem. I've already read it before, but I'll read it again. I think there sh- I shall never see a church that, that's all it ought to be. A church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues. A church whose deacons always deke. I don't even know if that's a word. And none are proud, but all are meek. Where gossips never peddle lies or make complaints or criticize. Where all are always sweet and kind and all to others' faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me, but still will work and pray and plan to make our church the best we can. Amen? Okay. Not original with me, but... It's fitting. This came up. I was exposed to some groups that dislike the church so much that they forsook it altogether. And if they just wanted to start a home Bible study, that's fine. But they were against pastors, deacons, churches, ecclesia altogether. And and I here, put this next slide up. It's like this. There's my wife, Jennifer. Thank you for praying for her. <laughs> yeah, mom. And I thought of this illustration. You like me? We're BFFs, right? This is from a, a few of my friends that went this route. You love me and you do anything for me, but you just don't like my wife, huh? Interesting. You can't st- stand to be around my wife. 
You don't even, and Jen, if you're listening, she never would. She's heard me for over 20 years. She would never listen to this, I promise you. Um, but you can't stand to be around her or even, you know, tolerate her whatsoever. But we're good. Me and you are good, right? Bring it in, bro. And this never happened. Maybe it hasn't. I didn't know about it. But I started thinking about that. You say you love Jesus, but you hate his bride? Interesting. Right? Do you get the connection there? That's what these guys were reminding me of. Okay, so you love Jesus so much, but you can't stand his bride, the church? Huh, interesting. That's like telling me you're friends with me, but you can't stand my wife. I don't know if we're really going to be that good of friends, to be honest with you. We're kind of a package deal, my wife and I. She's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's more, more like the opposite. They like her and not me, and that's fine. But I hope you get the point. Forsaking the assembly and hating the church or give, showing disregard to the church is saying like you love Jesus, you just don't like his bride. So some people find little to no importance or value to assembling as believers. This is sad for both the church and the unchurched. And here's the reason why I think it's sad. Um, I think it's sad because people that are actually born again and that forsaking the assembly, they're leaving the, they're leaving the assembly, but they're also leaving with the gifts that God gave them. And you and I may, may just need some of those gifts. I might need their encouragement. I might need their word of wisdom. I might need whatever. They, ha they have that they've been given by God, and that's how the body works. I might need it, um, and you would need it, and they might need the gifts that you have, but when they live in isolation, and they're forsaking the assembling, uh, and they just want to stay in, stay in a room or whatever, um, they're really robbing themselves, and they're robbing the rest of the body by forsaking the assembly, and it's just not good. I'm, please don't hear me say that if someone's born again, and they forsake the assembling of the church, that they're not Christians. I think they are, but they're just living, they're going to not live the abundant Christian life all by themselves. Do you think we were created for isolation? Like the lone wolf Christian approach, the 007 Christian approach? I don't think so. I think God created us for community and for communion and to do and to be life together. I remember something. Um, Something that happened to me in church in Utah one time, we were holding a meeting and people, we had a, a pretty infamous uh, speaker that was speaking and it drew a lot of people. And um, I remember this, this old lady sat in the back and everyone's like talking, hustling, bustling afterwards. I went up to her and I said, you know, I'm Neil, glad you made it and stuff like that. And I'll never forget what she said, I won't say it exactly, but you'll get the gist of it. Um, she said something like this. She said, I don't have much to offer. I understand that. I know that. I'm an old lady. She said, but the only thing I have to offer is me showing up. That really stuck to me. And I've heard, I've read books and heard hundreds of hours of sermons. It's that kind of stuff. She just said, it's just my, I, all I have is myself to, I just show up. I know I don't have, I'm not, she's not going to like, you know, 
whatever. Uh, she just has to offer herself. And what she was saying was it's her faithfulness um, that she's bringing to the table. And what that lady reminded me of, it's kind of like how Jesus said, look at that widow and that widow's might. And he glorified that situation and, and magnified it to where the people could connect to that. And it made a lot of sense. This lady was kind of like saying, this is her might. It, it's her it's her presence. It's her just showing up and not forsaking the assembling. I get it if you have health issues and, and all that kind of stuff. That's not forsaking the assembly. Forsaking the assembly is like, I could do without church. I'm going on my own. Thanks for saving me, Jesus. I'll take it from here. That's kind of the idea. I'm not talking about missing church um, because of whatever reason. I'm talking about having an attitude and a habitual pattern of just, you have this disregard for, the, for Christ's wife, his bride. So, speaking of faithfulness, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this, But the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A lot of times people want the big flashy things. She didn't want the big flashy things. She just said, all I do is show up. And to me, that spoke volumes. To me. But I get it. I get it. Some people just don't like church. Why don't they like church? Look at this quote. Here's Mahatma Gandhi. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. <laughs> your Christians are not, are so unlike your Christ. I read that wrong. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. It said that he had interactions. I think they were with, the, I'm not even going to mention the group because I don't want to, I don't want to make them look bad. Whatever group it was of Christians. He was also said and quoted from this experience, if it were not for Christians, I'd be a Christian. Isn't that interesting that the people that named the name of Christ made gathering as Christians so repellent to someone that they, that they would not accept our Jesus because of the way the people were representing our Jesus. I'm, look, are there, there's lame Christians. Have I been a lame Christian? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be. And we, you know, we don't represent, we're not the best ambassadors, in other words, all the time. But let's not be the Christian or the church that gives anyone the excuse or reason uh, to not like Jesus, Right? Let's be like Jesus. Let's be forgiving, compassionate, inclusive, patient, kind, warm, hospitable, relational, sacrificial, good listeners, meek, humble, and at peace. Let's be the representatives of Christ as he puts his life in us to live his life through us as he lives his life with us to affect those around us. Let's do that. Let's do that so that we don't have people like Gandhi saying, I like your Jesus, I just don't like your Christians. I think that's so funny. Okay, point two, and then I'll speed up here. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Exhorting, what does exhorting mean? It means uh, to call near, to invite, to invoke, um, to beseech, to call for, to comfort, to desire, to entreat, to pray. And it's hard to be near and to invoke and implore and console and comfort and to pray and entreat and all that kind of stuff if people aren't there to exhort, <laughs> if, 
If everyone forsakes the assembly, it's hard to exhort. It's hard to one another one another if there isn't another to one another. Sounds like Dr. Seuss a little bit. So if we really believe Jesus is coming again, and perhaps sooner than we may think, then all the more, so much more, let's encourage one another. While it gets darker and darker, let's attempt, by God's grace and his life in us, to be lighter and lighter. The darker the night, the brighter the light. But when we get to... So, so much more as you see the day approaching. So if you really believe Jesus is coming again, let's encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Look at this. But encourage each other uh, every day. So not just on Sunday. While you still have something called today. (laughs) I never even noticed that just till now. While you still have something that's called today. While you still have your freedom. While you still have your ability. While you still have your life. While you still have your... Your, your freedom to assemble, while you still have each other and you have communications. Help each other so that none of you will be fooled by sin and become too hard to change or have your heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. Romans 12.8, whoever has the gift of comforting others should do it. Whoever has the gift to help others should give generously. Whoever has the gift of leading uh, should work hard at it. Whoever has the gift of showing kindness to others should do it gladly. 1 Corinthians 12, look at this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but they're all from the same spirit. I like that phrase. They're different, not better, different. There are different ways to serve, but we serve the same Lord. And there are different ways that God works in people, but is the same God who works in all of us to do everything. That's why I believe there's no one better in the church. No one has more of God than the next person. No one's more justified or more forgiven or more righteous. We got the same when we got God. We have different gifts and different responsibilities, however. Something from the Spirit can be seen in each person. The Spirit lives or gives this to each one to help others, right? He gave to us so we could give to others. Like Jesus says, you've freely been given... uh, you freely receive, now freely give. Now, I don't know if I have time to, to look at these, but look just at the screen. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do it, but just go to the next slide. Or wait, did go to the next one? We, oh, we missed that one. Okay. Um, there's two passages that I, I'm referenced in this message that pertain to the day of Christ coming. This particular one wants the believers in Thessalonica. We would have turned there, but I just ran out of time. We're going to do communion here. This particular passage, if you want to write it down and read it later, deals with the the catching up of the church to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says to this group of people, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other. Why? Jesus said, you're going to hear of rumors of wars. You're going to hear of this. There's the Christ, there's the Christ. He said, don't be fooled. If it's possible, even the elect would be deceived. He said, don't fall for it. There are going to be many false prophets. The love is going to wax colder and colder uh, as the day is approaching. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
and I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Don't lose heart. Encourage each other with these words as you see the day approaching, as you see the day approaching. It might be tempting to forsake the assembly and to say, uh, I'll just, what's on Netflix? <laughs> what can I buy from Amazon? Uh, I don't want to be around people. Uh, I don't want to go to church. Don't do that, especially as you see the day approaching. You need each other. We need each other. We need to encourage one another, especially if you see the day approaching. And then in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, boom, right with the Lord. But let's encourage each other until, until if that happens. Maybe it won't in our lifetime. But let's be busy about our Father's business. The next passage, which is in the same book, very next chapter, he's also talking about, um, you know, when they're saying peace and safety, then, then destruction's going to come. And, and he also says in verse 9, but you've not been pointed under wrath, but to, but to obtain salvation of our Lord. And he says that the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. You don't know, you know, you don't know when, but he will. And then he says this, because they thought that the rapture and the tribulation had, or were already taking place, the Thessalonians. And so he's writing to them to encourage them. And then he re-discusses he re that in his second letter, 2 Thessalonians, and he deals with the Antichrist in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. But here he says encourage each other and help each other grow stronger in the faith just as you are already doing. In the context of the day of Christ is approaching, they thought it already happened. He said it hasn't happened, but still, even, even so, be in church, <laughs> encourage one another, and so much more if you do see these things, so much more be in church. Why? So you could encourage one another, and you could be encouraged yourself. So much more. Now's not the time to get squarely on church and to start forsaking the assembly. Now's not the time. Um, ver, and then the, this last thought. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Go to the slide where it says the lesson of the fig tree. Jesus, in Matthew 24 so really, it's a go-to chapter on eschatology, which is the study of end times. But in this, the disciples are getting really curious. He just said, you know, all the stones will be taken down, and, you know, the, all this stuff is going to be going down. And then they're, they're just like, when, why, how, what, who, when, all this kind of stuff. And then Jesus just calmly says uh, about the fig tree, the fig tree teaches us a lesson. When its branches become green and soft, and new leaves begin to grow, then you know that summer is very near. In the same way, when you see all these things happening, you will know that the time is very near and already present. So, are there things that we're seeing? There's things that I'm seeing. I'm not, I don't make predictions, but I'm like, doesn't, it's not rocket surgery to connect the dots, right? <laughs> Not rocket surgery. Like, you said that all wrong, Neil. I know I did it on purpose. I did it on purpose just to see if you're awake. But Jesus is going to come back soon. Go to the, I think it's the, the last slide before the communion slide. We're going to just edit all this. 
He which testifies the last, second to last verse of the entire uh, Bible. He which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. And the word amen means true, truth. Or I agree with the truth when you say it back. But Jesus is the amen because he is the truth. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Seems like a fairy tale almost, right? I'm, my mind is so corrupt with so much science fiction movies. Are we even in this room right now, or is this virtual? <laughs> but when you read verses like that, I read it, and I'm thinking, I want that, but what does it look like? Right? Even so, I don't have to understand it all intellectually. I just know it spiritually. Jesus came the first time, and he spends a lot of real estate in the Bible describing that he's going to come again. I just happen to be one of those that believe him, right? And I just happen to believe, if that's true, now's not the time to get a little wobbly on church. This might not be the church for you, but go find a church that is and stay there. Put your uh, influence there. Put your flag there, you know, and then be faithful even if you're like that old lady that spoke to me years ago, that's still speaking to me, I don't have much to offer. All I have to offer is my faithfulness. And I'm like, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the Lord Jesus Christ living through you, right? And she has more to offer than just to just put a, you know, a spot in the pew. Um, but that's what she was saying. Let's do this. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to move to the communion slide here. Um, and Ms. Karen, if you want to play, that's fine if you don't, but we'll make sure if you do play the piano that you'll, you'll be able to participate in communion as well. Um, but what we're going to do because of COVID is I'm going to move the pulpit off to the side, and there's communion that's almost like Delta <laughs> Airlines is doing communion today. They're communion um, to-go things because of safety reasons. So just take one of these. On the top is the bread. So you take off the top layer, if you can. You take off the top layer, and there's the bread. We're going to pray and thank the Lord for his body. Underneath, you rip it off again, is the juice. And then we're going to pray and thank the Lord for his blood that was shed to put us into the, the new covenant, the New Testament. So um, maybe, Karen, if you could play right now, and then what we'll do is we'll just start from the back rows and just come around the outside and then walk by and grab one for you and for someone else if they can't walk up here, and then Miss Karen will play, and then we'll have Jerry thank the Lord for the bread, and then we'll have Joe thank the Lord for the blood, and then uh, we'll be on our way. All right, so if you want to go ahead and... and Start from the back and work your way forward as we get our communion.